I'm Ryan Milliken from Hardway Performance, and you're listening to The Diesel Podcast. I'm Demetri Miller with No Zone Diesel. This is Anthony Reigns from XDP. This is Jaron Holder from Holder Down Performance. Corey Willis from PPI. I'm Drew with D&J Precision Machine. I'm Pinky. And you're listening to The Diesel Podcast. Diesel Podcast. You're listening to The Diesel Podcast. The Diesel Podcast. The one and only Diesel Podcast. What is going on, Diesel Nation? Today's episode has been many months in the making. We're really excited to bring it to you. These guys are at the cornerstone of diesel performance. But before we get to it, we want to thank BD Diesel and PPEI for helping make this episode possible. If you guys are looking for transmission parts, turbo parts, pretty much anything under the sun, check out what BD Diesel has to offer. They've got some really cool promotions going on right now. Just go to dieselperformance.com. If you're looking for custom tuning for your highly modified truck, stock truck, truck used for work, towing, PPI has you covered. They do Cummins, Duramax, and Power Stroke tuning. Just go to PPEI.com. What is up, Ryan, on this beautiful day, man? I am sipping some French vanilla coffee in the 80-degree Phoenix sun um, on the road again, as usual. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, a little foggy from last night, going to lie. We're here for the Waste Management Open, and uh, it's kind of a party. It's a good time. I really enjoy it. Anybody who... Uh, the fan of golf, uh, or I mean drinking and golf, uh, you should come down here and check it out. It's pretty cool. You still drinking the decaf, or did you man up and get some caffeinated stuff? Uh, man, I am like on Black Rifle coffee kick, dude. Like, not trying to plug them or anything like that, but I take my own K-cups on the road now. Nice. Well, that's American-owned. Like, American-owned like a big deal. They, like, roast their stuff here, and I don't know. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, they're cool guys. Cool guys. So I, uh, I'm pretty excited today, man. You got uh, one of the... The companies, it's a cornerstone of diesel performance on the podcast today. I've been looking forward all week to it. To my knowledge, you've been chasing these guys like the hot chick in high school for uh, like two years now. Yeah. Uh, luckily, um, <laughs> I uh, was able to corner them in Mexico, uh, a non-extradition country, and uh, <laughs> talk to them about the podcast. No, no, really, you know, we were all down there uh, doing some training uh, diesel event, and um, they debuted a couple new products, and I think they are uh, awesome. And and honestly, this company, in my mind, kind of comes out with some of the more innovative things in diesel that solve, like, really real-world solutions, um, even though they kind of have a reputation for, you know, high performance and, and things like that. They kind of, I don't know across all metrics when it comes to uh, diesel performance, anything from like like towing, simple solutions, all the way up to, again, like six four deck plate motors and things like that, which I think is awesome. Um, and they do it all in-house and use American manufacturing, which you know I'm a big fan of. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm done plugging him, but uh, this morning we've got uh, police performance, man. we got Braden and Chase and their operations manager, Jeff, all on the phone, and I'm, I'm stoked, man. Welcome, guys. How you doing? This is Braden. We're doing fantastic. I don't know if you know that specific time here, guys. Early. <laughs> Earlier than here, yeah. Hey, Ryan, yeah, I, uh, I find it fitting that uh, you get trashed at a waste management event. <laughs> well, you, you'll have that. <laughs> <laughs> you guys got sound effects there? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Good good to be on here. Uh, like you said, he's been chasing us for a couple of years, and we've been meaning to do it, but been busy uh, with product development, a lot of new things coming out, and uh, uh, no time like the present when you're trying to get uh, get a little traction on uh, some new stuff. 
it's been like for a while is is guys you know truck owners whether they race or tow or just want some more performance they they know about the fleece products they know about the cheetah turbos they know about all the things you guys do and ryan and i were talking not long ago and he's like man fleece has two really cool products that are coming out we've got to talk to them people need to know about it and we really wanted to start this off talking about those two products, what you guys are, are you know, brought to market, what it does, why truck guys need it. Well, yeah, we can uh, start with the, the new lift pump. Um, that's a project that we've been working on for two years now. Two years, yeah, uh, with a big OEM supplier of uh, in-tank electric fuel pumps to, you know, their global supplier, that's TI Automotive. Um, we kind of pretty pretty well partnered with them as their diesel aftermarket arm to get their you know OE products to the market and developed a, a dual in tank lift pump that uh, will drop in on GM Ford and Dodge applications and uh, provide you know we square it up to the market we're going to be 170 gallons per hour nearly 168 at pressure and uh, mm. It replaced the whole sending unit. So, like, say you've got a bad sending unit, your fuel level sender is not working, or you know, even if it's not bad, um, we made the whole assembly and integrated our regulator um, into the tank flange. So, it's a drop-in unit. I mean, and you know, most people are already pulling the beds or dropping tanks to put uh, uh, lift pump systems on. So we're like, hey, let's just give them a whole brand new sending unit, nice, 100% brand new package, and. Uh, Given the performance, but it's quiet. I mean, it performs, but it's dead silent. Mm. So I think more these it. days, the new trucks are like electric vehicles. I mean, if you get in like a 17 Ford, those things, you can't even tell they're on. So Yeah, yeah, and that was the big push. Like, we, I think we got it. That was pretty much our 16 Ram. We bought that development vehicle, and uh, the thing was so quiet, and then, we hung a lift pump on it when we were doing some of our turbocharger development and our, um, you know, just get, put it through its paces. And, uh, um, man, you could hear the lift pump in the cab over top of the, the engine running, and it's just it's kind of the next evolution. And it's right. Well, you buy a $70,000 truck, you don't want an electric motor whining underneath there. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I just have a hard time, you know, with a customer having to put a sump in the bottom of their, you know, their fuel tank to, yeah, keep keep a pump quiet because I guess that helps with uh, cavitation on some of the other brands. And you know, you get a brand new truck, so you hold, yeah, cutting a hole in the bottom of your tank like that's not something I want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I can get as as geeky as you want on uh, on the nerd on you know the reasons why we think it's better and why we came up with it. I mean, obviously, you want to if you're going to make something and compete with established brands, you want it to be better. Sure. And. Uh, well, before we start firing cannonballs across anybody's bow, um, if we keep it quasi-light, um, what, what's the target consumer for this pump? Do I need to have um, your injectors and one of your big CP3 pumps to have this pump, or is this something you suggest for stock guys, uh, towing guys? Like, what's, what's, what's your market, your demographic that you're going after? Who should be kind of researching this and calling you guys and putting it on their truck? Well, I mean, we've got that integrated uh, regulator. Like, it's, so if people are familiar with our regulated return distribution mm-hmm. block, um, it's it's a regulated fuel system. So we've got that set at like 
10 to 12 pounds on Duramaxes and 15 pounds on the on the Dodges. Um, so having that regulator, any excess fuel from you know our 168 gallons an hour uh, that you're not using is getting recirculated back to the tank. So the capacity is there, but you can't really ever overbuy on you know this lift pump. It's not too big for just a, a regular stock replacement application, and that's kind of you get that uh, um, ability to fit the guy that wants to replace something as a replacement part, and we might be the same cost or cheaper than just a new sending unit. And it also fits the guy up to, Chase, what did your truck make? made 820 horse. You know, it was a compound turbo setup and had a bigger injectors and all that good and stuff. And so. one of our power plus 750s. But, um, you know, we were out of injection pump at that point. We didn't, you know, put dual pumps on it and continue to test because, well, we'd also, you know, run the risk of shortening rods and blowing up the motor. But, you know, if it can if it can catch a 820, 850 horsepower customer, I think it, it's about what everyone needs, you know, 90 to 95% of the mm -hmm. customer base. Um, we are going to put it on, uh, we've got a couple employees that have, um, you know, hot street trucks, 1,000, 13, 1,400 horsepower trucks. And if I can get one of these things with one of our 13-millimeter CP3s to roll, 1200 horsepower, then it, it, it covers everyone. Mm. Oh, and the street crowd. Yeah, the street crowd. I mean, there's there's obviously a better option for us. But this is really tailored after the guys, so like a tune and a turbo, uh, maybe some small injectors. You know, like I say, got a brand new truck. Mm -hmm. Doesn't want to allow hang on the side of it. Um, and it should be said, the uh, the newer Ram 13 and up, the, the filters are of the highest, of some of the highest technology filters that are on the market. So you'll get some pushback with about the filtration, but the, the factory Cummins filters are very, very good. Um, we had a couple suppliers that we were dealing with, and once we told them what the application was, they're like, man, the filters that you guys already are using and come on the truck are as good as they get. So mm -hmm. that's what really steered toward building just an in-tank fuel pump module and not hanging filters on the side of it. Now, for well, the truck, it's like, what's Well, I guess that was like me a, and Patrick kind of questioned, uh, challenge you guys on that. What are you guys doing for filtration? Because obviously the established aftermarket lift pump market offers um, uh, air and um, uh, extra filtration um, with their products. So, I, like I said, I guess that would be one thing that I think if you had any consumer pushback is to, you know, that's just kind of what people are used to thinking you need on a diesel is uh, we all have a stigma that fuel is very, um, it's thinner with all the bio in there. It's not not as very, you know, lubricating, so everybody's throwing additive in there right now. And I know people get a lot of uh, push on fuel quality. And, and uh, you know, if you have an LML and your CP4 goes bad or you get bad fuel in there and you cut a piston, I mean, I know I've melted a motor down before, and uh, um, that's, a, that's a bad day. I mean, it's a $15,000 kind of day. <laughs> so... Um, yeah. You know, it's it's real easy to sell, uh, you know, insurance based on a filtration mode. Um, so is is there anything that you can offer that's beyond, I guess, the 13 Ram or 13 Cummins? Like if I've got an LML, GMC should well, I? Well, that's what, like the LML, we're going to offer something better filtration-wise because it doesn't okay. have, you know, that progression was Cummins created this nano, nano net, net technology. Mm. And we're talking with, you know, Wix and Baldwin and all these suppliers, and they're like, 
we we can't square up to that. We have no offering that is as good as what that Cummins filter is. So, no kidding. You know, at this point, we may you know on the LML adapt a NanoNet or there's a new aftermarket NanoPore technology to that, which is getting you know the industry has moved forward. You know, mm-hmm. GM's not going to just up and change their filters on a whim. You know, maybe on next product launch or next release, they'll release something that's compatible or com- comparable to that filtration capacity. But, you know, we're not exactly sure what the LML filter will look like, but it will definitely be better than OEM. And, uh, um, but from on the Dodges, for sure, uh, you know, make an 820 rear wheel horsepower through a factory filter. Right. We have the flow capacity for our amount of flow that we're pushing through this you know, from this pump through that factory filter and we're getting that good filtration, there's no need to fix it. Yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, between PRI and the um, 100 dealers that were on um, the trip that you and I all went to, uh, that diesel conference, um, man, everybody's very excited about it. You know, being able to drop in a pump into, you know, the factory tank hole, wire everything up, it's all plug and play, um, no cutting hoses and throwing hose clamps on there or anything like that. Um, I think yep. you guys uh, are hitting a home run here, I really do. I'm, my hat's off to you guys. Another cool, innovative Thanks. product from Fleece, for sure. I mean, it's not as cool as the uh, turn all your headlights on GM uh, board, but, you know, it's up there. I'm, just, I'm, just saying, it's up I'm there. telling you, that, that little guy... That was something, you know. I didn't think about that. No, that I wasn't the first person doing person to do that. But guys were rapid <laughs> diodes around their relays, and then right. I mean, just. Uh, oh, I remember when Wade from Thoroughbred stuck that thing on in a video, and I was like, "That's the dumbest, smartest thing I've ever seen in my life." That's genius. He just it fits right on the relays. I don't know. I just, I, I enjoy that piece you hey, guys made. It's one of those things. The funny thing about that is the first one we made, we grabbed some PCB uh, board, like to make circuit boards out of, and then uh, stuck a uh, PCB on the vertical machining center. Okay, so this is like a 30 horsepower, 12,000 RPM spindle, cutting a piece of 60,000 silicon, you know. And uh, we made the first one that way and removed the copper cladding and made the circuit traces that way got a tiny little end mill and made the slots and uh tell you what it when it worked and worked how i had thought that it should work um they're obviously inexpensive and like 20 bucks or something and i mean we've got them on the website like you buy a 10 pack they're cheaper and but it's just one of those things everybody it's nice and yeah it's a installation and then we had guys coming in with like the relays cocked out of the relay center and like barely making contact and my lights are flickering and then you pull up Fuse box cover off. Like, well, that's why. (laughs) I want to speak about that lift pump. Just a couple more things. Um, Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. A couple of the big features that make it different uh, from just you know putting a couple of pumps on a stick down in the tank. Um, The fuel module. You know, this is all technology that the OEMs have been doing. It's it's the current best practice for you know a fuel module. But there's always a bucket in the bottom of the tank that is a reservoir for fuel in case of hard acceleration, you're sloshing fuel to the back. Diesel or off. I think would be the common terminology. Yeah. Kind of thing. yeah. Yep. So, you know, the quarter tank issue with draw straws or sumps, 
you're eventually going to unshroud the inlet and suck air. Mm -hmm. And our our pump has got uh, passive fills into the bucket, which are just little check diaphragms that allow that bucket to fill up and stay full. And we're also returning um, our overage from the pumps because you're not using all 168 gallons an hour. So we're blending cold fuel with that hot fuel coming back from the injectors into the bucket. And it's always submerged. Um, or, you know, the pickups for the pumps are always submerged. And then right. we also have an active And that active fill is an, it's a Venturi, a little jet that's on the very bottom of the tank. And it's actually sucking fuel out of that little well or sump that the, the modules sit in to fill that bucket as well. So you can take this thing down to low fuel light, and it'll operate exactly like your truck used to. Like if you knew you had 30 miles and the light came on, you're going to mm-hmm. have 30 miles of our our setup. And no kidding. There's no customer education of like, hey, man, yeah, you got this awesome new truck and this awesome new pump, and it moves this much fuel, but it's loud, and it also... Yeah, you got to fill your truck up at a quarter. When it says you have 80 miles to go, you have zero miles to go kind of a thing. Yeah. When you got start it. to hear that high-pitched whine when you turn, mm-hmm. you better find a fuel, <laughs> fuel station. So, you know, and like I said, it's just we, we used to install a lot of those style pumps, and it was, you know, to build a better mousetrap, let's, let's get some high-quality parts from some Tier 1 manufacturers, that are going to stand behind the parts and let's engineer it as much as well as we can and try to think of everything. And uh, I think we've come up with a pretty good one and lifetime warranty and price point. What are we? Six ninety nine mass. Yeah, it's going to be competitive with uh, the other brands on the market. So shoot for six ninety nine. What What would you say install time is on that? Drop your tank, lock that thing in there, plug it back up. Two hours, something like that. Maybe a little like longer. Brian's doing it. Somebody oh, with mechanical ability. You know I have the hands of a spreadsheet god, not the hands of a mechanic. <laughs> Easy. Do you see my knuckles? How veiny and vascular and beautiful they are. They're not busted. <laughs> yeah, what I told you the other day, I probably shouldn't say it on here, but it was trying to your your see-through skin and your your vascular proud. My vascularness is what they like to call it. Yes. Your vascularness. Yeah. Like a tree frog. <laughs> the lack of sun, okay? All right. I was like the bubble boy in uh in high school. You know, my mother kept me inside, a lot of a lot of sun tan lotion. This, this is what happens, man. This is what happens. Yep. Um well, you know, I I guess I want to transition to the next product this is something that I I find genius because for me working with the ATS guys, um, you know, in the turbo market, um uh you know for like your second gen swap kit which i, I love those kits um or guys that do just a drop in fixed vein replacement because i'm i'm a fixed vein guy um on their six seven cummins uh a lot of guys don't lose their exhaust brake um you know we we even at ats sell a decent amount of cheetah turbos because guys want to do like our plus kit with your cheetah and have a little extra and they don't want to go to just two conventional compounds because they tow a lot and that exhaust brake is really important to them. And uh, you guys are releasing, I think, in my mind, the best exhaust brake for a 6.7 Cummins. Um, and I guess that's the next thing I really want you guys to uh, uh, let our listeners know about is how that works and why yours is different than other exhaust brakes that are on the market and what's innovative about it. And, um, but, yeah, I was, I was actually in uh, North Carolina with John Drury, one of your 
um, one of your employees that does some of the testing and things like that, and he was kind of talking to me about technology, what you're doing with some of the uh, uh, VGT stuff over there. And um, like I said, another cool cool item coming out from you guys this year, and we want to kind of educate our listeners on it. Yep. So this uh, we've got an all-electronic exhaust brake or electromechanical actuator on an exhaust brake. So conventional exhaust brake, um, you're either, you know, cutting it in uh, into your exhaust system and it operates with an air little air cylinder and then you've got to install an air compressor and then it's got its own control where you've got to hook up to the throttle or some of the new stuff will hook up to the CAN bus and it's picking up information off the CAN bus and the logic works that way. Um, but, you know, the problem with those are the install time. Uh, a lot of guys, I mean, seems like everywhere in North America is a cold climate uh, nowadays, you know, because of global warming and making uh, Orlando <laughs> freaking Al Gore. But, uh, you know what? I don't believe in global warming because it was cold in that pool in Mexico, and I believe Mexico is supposed to be warm this time of year. Throwing it out there. <laughs> it's not global warming. It's called climate change. Oh, okay. But, uh, Whatever snowflakes need to call it to make themselves get more tax money. That's fine. Gives you gives yourself an out because yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway. I digress. So, uh, this uh, the exhaust brake, like the factory ones, they're air operated. We've had issues where customers have exhaust brakes and they don't drain their tanks, and it's full of condensation. And then the first time that actuator or the line gets full of water and freezes, and their exhaust brake sticks open, they freak out or stick closed. Excuse me. Like they have to set it in a warm up mode. So various things are uh, can happen with the conventional exhaust brakes, but um, again, like better mousetrap. We're trying to think of something a little more innovative, um, solves, you know, at least two problems or makes us better in a couple different ways. And so we've got, uh, like I say, it's an electromechanical actuator, big um, high torque motor on the side of it that's liquid cooled, much like the actuator that's on the turbochargers from the factory, but uh, this one is actually a quality actuator and won't fail. Um, and Plugs right into the uh, plugs right into the port that your turbo was connected to. So you unplug your turbo, say you get a second gen swap, and you've got that connector right there. We plug right into that, and we act like the turbo from the ECM's perspective, and it doesn't know that it's missing. And so you've got your S400 or S whatever second gen swap, and an exhaust brake, and you don't really have to do anything custom. Yeah. Do you have to do any special tuning with it to make it operate properly, or does it work the same way as the the vanes in the VGT turbo would uh, operate for the exhaust brake? It works exactly like the, the vanes in the turbo would. So we're looking for that exhaust brake message, and whenever the driver's got the exhaust brake switch in the dash enabled, you don't, you know, that's the logic of it. You enable the exhaust brake, but it doesn't turn on until you're at 0% throttle. And whenever that happens, we're reading the CAN bus, and we see that. And whenever they would go into the variable geometry braking mode, we read those percentages, and we've got closed-loop feedback on the exhaust back pressure sensor, and we know how much back pressure we're making. So the ECM's controlling all that, and when they are saying, hey, close the VGT to 90% um, or 87% at 3,000 RPMs, and then as RPMs drop, it closes the brake off more, we're going to correlate what vein position was to butterfly closure. Because they have a they have a target exhaust back pressure reading that they want to follow as well. Mm -hmm. So let's say it's 
seventy pounds. Um, they that that whole system is going to trim to keep it around that seventy pounds of back pressure because that's going to make a certain amount of braking horsepower. So that uh, and that's something that the other guys can't do. I mean, we're going to maintain consistent back pressure just like the VGT brakes. Those were a closed loop controlled system that looks for a, that target back pressure and it would adjust variable geometry turbo position to create that exact back pressure. And an mm -hmm. air cylinder brake can't do that because it's just like a spring return air cylinder and you can't like, pulse width modulate an air cylinder very well. So um, we can take that butterfly and slam it shut, create back pressure quickly and then taper it off to maintain that 60 pounds of back pressure or 50 or whatever that ECM is desiring. Now, so it's, tunability. it's like flip phone versus iPhone 10 kind of thing. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> or corded rotary phone, if you millennials don't know what those are. It's <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know what you're talking about. I had oh, so me and Lenny from Dynamite hopped in a truck that was manual. I goes, oh, it's a standard transmission. He goes, oh, I call that the millennial theft device. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, millennials can't drive a stick, so you just buy a standard <laughs> transmission vehicle and you steal your shit. <laughs> How did you both fit side by side in the truck? There was two sweaty forearms next to each other for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> the millennials wonder why the left brake pedal doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> What is so what is so cool about this product is like on the six seven Cummins is guys want an aftermarket turbo, a second gen swap, or mm -hmm. a custom compound kit, and they'll sell themselves on it until they get to the point where they say, "Well, what about my exhaust brake?" And then you tell them they're going to lose it, and they're done. Or mm -hmm. yeah, they they do it and they come to you and it you know I've gone through a couple nightmares over the years when this product didn't exist of how do you tune it? How do you make it work? Why doesn't the light work? You know, all those sort of electronic things, as you mentioned, that can't be replicated in some of the other products out there. So this is a home run, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, you tried to think of everything. Appreciate that. It's, it's, it needs to work like factory. Cause honestly, you know, you've seen over the last just five years, the factory, the OEM vehicles are, they've stepped it up. There's a lot of features, there's a lot of creature features that are nice and they work well, but, you know, we're just trying to amplify those. We still like that $70,000 truck. We just want it to be more, but we don't want to right. change everything about it. Well, and I think uh, people crave to have a unique look and driving experience to their truck because at the end of the day, you know, particularly diesel enthusiasts, you know, it's, it's a lifestyle kind of thing, you know. Like some guys don't even tow every day. They just like the look and feel and idea of a powerful diesel truck. Um, and the second-gen swap kits, they sound better, and they clean your engine bay up some. And, and you know, like I said, it's kind of your own signature on um, on a culture, you know. And, and I think that's important for people to have options, but drivable options. I don't like hacking up an 80, you know, 90,000. Now the new Ford Platinum 450 is a $100,000 truck, you know. These guys are not yeah. um, low-brow, um, you know, $11 an hour kind of guys, if you can afford a $70,000 truck, I guarantee you you're like a professional person um, uh, or you use it for work or something like that. And so I, I think all these creature comforts are well-deserved. I'm glad that the OEM has stepped up and it's good to see the aftermarket stepping up and making products that um, complement a, you know, 70, 80, 90, $100,000 truck. Yep. Well, and uh, 
since we kind of brought up Fords, uh, that's something that the next, no oh boy, you know, over the next <laughs> three to six months, uh, they're definitely going to be seeing some more Ford product uh, being released by us. We uh, working on a turbo right now, which was be released in the next probably month, month and a half. I think so I saw a sneaky picture on uh, uh, Face Page or uh, Friendster, MySpace, whatever it was, uh, here last week yeah. on that. <laughs> There was a teaser in that picture, and nobody nobody caught it. Nobody? I probably didn't catch it. I, I'm just swipe left, man. I just, I'm running down. Right you know back. I mean, I mean that, that's the picture that you're talking about. It was a 6-7 um, Power Stroke Turbo, but in yeah. the back of that picture, there's a little, uh, little device with the uh, police logo on it, and nobody said anything about it. Okay, I need to hang up the phone. I'm going back. I did not do my research, Patrick. We need to redo this entire podcast. (laughs) You know you're going to need to put a caption on the bottom of this, like, Ford guys, fast forward to 9 minutes and 14 seconds to hear about fleet making Ford product for once. (laughs) Well, it was a a Ford picture, and then uh, now one of our uh, variable geometry turbo actuators was sitting there, a fresh casting that has our logo and stuff in it. And uh, uh, before we dump or jump off into Ford World, um, I wanted to speak a little bit about that actuator. Um, mm-hmm. The actuator and the exhaust brake, that was kind of a side project um, for a two-year project that we've been working on with developing a an aftermarket variable geometry turbo actuator for the BG, the HE351s for the 6.7 Dodges. To replace and, that very anemic piece of crap actuator that tends to go out on those things. Yep. And when you, you know, we do manufacture a lot in-house. We do a lot of our development in-house. But when you want to go make an actuator, you go to an actuator manufacturer. And that's what we did. We enlisted the help of a global corporation that makes actuators for Cat and John Deere, Scania, man, everyone, um, Cummins. And they're good at what they do, and this valve or this actuator has got uh, plenty of torque. It's got a history with hundreds of thousands of units of that same motor and control circuit board, um, so it's reliable. And that's you know what we want to put our put our name on. The major failure that we saw with the previous versions of that actuator were, uh, you know, a lot of the, the components on the board were not rated for the temperature that it, that it sees. And uh, on this board, we want to, or on this actuator, we want to make sure that that was one of the first things we addressed, and and, and it was. And all all the components on the board are rated 15 degrees C higher than factories. So, um, you know, that's that's one one of the major uh, improvements that we've made to it. But like Brad said, there's some other things, a higher torque value, and and uh, we have the ability to control it um, the way that we want to as opposed to the way that it comes um, programmed from the factory. Well, and, like, to, you know, dig in on that a little bit further. So the, the actuator, it turns into one of those, uh, most shops don't have the tools or capabilities um, to calibrate a new actuator. Yeah, they could go to Chrysler and grab one, or they could go to Cummins and grab an actuator, but there's a little tool to index it, which is not a big deal, but then you have to have an actual tool to park that actuator electronically in a certain spot, and then it does a um, calibrate routine, like an install calibrate routine. We thought about it, and it's like, hey, we can probably do this ourselves. As soon as you put it on, no matter where it's at, depending on how we design our gear train in this actuator, 
And so we did. We designed the gear train to where it can spin 360 degrees. And when you put it on, it goes over and finds a minimum stop and a maximum stop. And as long as it's within the range of motion that we want to see, the thing auto-calibrates on the first power-up. Hmm. So completely eliminate having to go to the dealer, having to have a special tool. A guy could buy the part in a box on the shelf, replace it before bolt, you know, drain your coolant, what is it, four or six bolts? Four bolts. Put it on the turbo, and as long as the turbo doesn't actually have a, you know, a stuck vein package, you know, a bent vein or exhaust valve stuck in it, and it, uh, if it's just an actuator failure, you're on the road in an hour. Okay, so for the um, uh, smaller budding manufacturers that would like to rip this off and send it to China, what's your supplier's name again? Yeah. No? I'm glad you brought it up because it's a huge issue in our industry. I mean, um, it's must be do. And uh, the more complicated product that we can manufacture, the better because it's harder to rip off. Something like this that involves, you know, yes, anybody with a laser scanner or, uh, you know, you you can reverse engineer this, but you can't reverse engineer the firmware easily. And the logic and firmware, but um, takes all the time. So, and and at, from that perspective, we're we're trying to design it as intelligently as possible and make it you know better than the next guy. And well, not to get too political, but any of these items that you guys make that tend to be extremely um, innovative in DIY, like again, just like the headlamp thing that you can put on at home. Um, or is an extremely common failure is always going to be subject to some sort of ripoff. Uh, is what I've seen in the industry, at least, is somebody saying, "Hey, we're selling a ton of these things. Um, let's see if we can make it because we want more money for the ones we're selling, and we don't care if it affects uh, American manufacturing or jobs or things like that." And things get shipped over to China, and and a lot of times that that is a proactive kind of uh, company where. Um, you know, sales are up and, and these uh, companies over in China, I know we've been approached uh, in my, you know, line of work about doing like EGR deletes and PCV reroutes and things like that because uh, you guys make like really nice uh, transmission line kits and all kinds of good innovative things that these Chinese companies are proactive to manufacturers like us saying, hey, we can make you a container load of these for 50 bucks a piece, that kind of a thing. And you're like, wow, uh, let's just kind of dig all of the innovation and R&D time that Fleece put into something for a quick buck. And, again, I think that's a sad thing. And, and me and Patrick are pretty hardcore on kind of giving the consumer warning. It's like buy the good American thing. Like if it costs, if it's the cheapest version of that fix, it's probably a ripoff version. Just go buy the, the nice one. Go buy the thing that costs you a few bucks because it's going to be more reliable but, I mean, just ethically, I think it's a better thing to do. But that, that's that's my two cents. I think I did, like, a one-hour podcast on how the industry is dying at one point. Just kind of yelled at Patrick for a while. And I don't want to revisit that again because I'm pretty sure people turn that off after ten minutes. So, <laughs> Well, we've tried to logo all of our product that we're making. Um, sometimes guys are doing it, like, bait and switch, and you don't realize it. Like, you know, yeah, you're going to have to be shopping on eBay or something to, to get taken like that. But... People were selling pumps and say oh, they were PowerFlow 750s, and they weren't. And we're mm-hmm. like, no, we don't have a serial. Sorry, it's not one of ours. And they're like, oh, well, they said it was. Well, so mm-hmm. we started to put, you know, our logo in the cams on the pumps, and um, all of our castings that we make have our logo on them. We're trying to laser etch all of our stuff. So one of those, it's just one of those things. Like, if if the 
if the store brand, you know, shampoo costs, you know, two bucks and the name brand is, you know, close to it, two dollars, two fifty, most people, I mean, unless they're really trying to penny pinch, they're gonna go with, you know, the quality and or the name brand. Or the name brand. And that's kind of how we uh, we try to do it. And like you said earlier about it being kind of a lifestyle, people want to be associated with brands because they either share common values or they think the guys are cool or they like the logo or whatever. I mean, I remember growing up and circling stuff in magazines and being like, man, that's awesome. I want to buy that from these guys. Or, you know, being, you know, just enamored with a company um, or mm-hmm. a brand. Uh, the big thing we're trying to do, though, is just make technologically more advanced product that's not easy to knock off. Anybody mm-hmm. can send products, anybody can copy a pool and bypass. Right. Or packaging kit or this or that. There's in you know, there's some innovation in it at the point in time when it was made. But at the end of the day you gotta come up with something that's not easy to copy. Like the fuel pump that we made, it's not just something you can just easily copy. You gotta contact the right people to get the parts made and this, that, and the other. And there's not 50 of those suppliers out there. There's a handful. And then mm-hmm. same thing with the exhaust. There's a lot of time and effort put into that. Yeah, you can go to a casting company and get it made. But like Braden said, sooner or later you're gonna to have to have an actuator with some logic, and uh, you gotta you know how to program all that. So you're definitely gonna see police move toward more uh, product like this that's harder to knock off, um, easier to retain value in and uh, not see a race to the bottom like we're seeing with some of the uh, people knocking off police product and other people's product. But you'll find we're cost competitive with everybody. I mean, we, mm-hmm. even though this exhaust brake, you know, is completely upsetting the industry in terms of what, how a normal exhaust brake is perceived, um, we're going to be the same price. And, you know, we try to be vertically integrated, and that speaks to, you know, the in-house manufacturing, the American manufacturing, like we try to leverage all of our resources and we buy big so that we get good margins on our input materials so that we can keep those prices low enough to compete with the guys that are either, you know, not buying it right or taking a hit on their margin just to try to sell more volume. And eventually right. you squeeze those guys in the market because you're so vertically integrated that you're basically providing a premium product for the same price. Yeah. Right. So that's our goal. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm 100% with you. I mean, I think you know, um, you know, the history of me over at ATS and working with Lenny at, at Dynamite and um, buying big is is a big deal and and adding infrastructure um, for the guys that haven't watched like um, the Fleets promo video you guys released two years ago um, or some of the you know uh, social media videos you guys put out. Um, I've always been impressed when manufacturers step up their game and add infrastructure. Um, in the way of like machines and um, you know sourcing um, you know raw material here in the states and then making it here in the states and you know keeping that money where it should belong you know what I mean not to be a total patriot or anything I know that's like a trigger word these days um, but that's uh, that's important to me you know for for me having young kids and uh, me working here and uh, working with uh, uh, good vendors like you guys. I'm always my hats off to guys that will take that risk and put that money in. But I mean, uh, not a lot of guys, you know, not a lot of people out there know you guys personally. You guys are fairly young guys too, um, and uh, I think that's I think it's pretty badass. There's not a lot of young guys that are uh, 
buying uh, multi-million dollars worth of machines and uh, making products here in the States. And like I said, I think it's a pretty cool thing. Well, thanks. I mean, we just try to reinvest. And I mean, I think that's the reason why we're still around. I mean, less than five years ago, we were in a pole barn. And what, six years now? What, 3,000 or is it 5,000 square feet? No, it's 3,000. 3,000 square feet. And yeah. But I mean, we helped build. And yeah. we thought it was the best. I mean, it was, it's a nice place. It was cool. But... Yeah. You know, you get a little bit more space. And when we moved over here to Brownsburg and had, uh, you know, all these cool contacts around us and people that were interested in what we did, and we had the ability to grow into another suite and then another suite. For a minute, explain what it's like driving down your road to Fleece, like the types of shops that you actually pass by on the way. Because I was floored whenever I came to your open house. Well, anytime you come through in the spring, you'll see uh – uh Ray Hall's right there at the entrance by John Force, and they'll have a car out, or Wayne Taylor Racing, which has got like the 24-hour Le Mans cars. Um, you know, there's Tony Stewart's at the uh, south end of our building, and they'll have a sprint car out getting getting fired up, getting ready for the race weekend. Or you'll see me out on the street launching a 1,300-horse pulling truck, and then you'll hear the top fuel guys kicking off engines getting ready to go to the track. So it's, uh, it's definitely a really cool area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they used to practice parking lot like they would uh, they would tear one down or or rebuild one real quick and then fire up uh, you know a funny car. Pedro got the right next to it. We share like a, a parking lot and it was always cool. I mean, obviously everything stops in the shop and everybody's out standing watching them and rightfully so. I mean, can't deny car guys or engine guys that it's like a mating call, but uh, <laughs> a lot of cool stuff. Um, just a neat neighborhood, and then so like we we just expanded. We we started out in what three six thousand square feet here, and then now we a couple of other people are moving out of this building, and now we'll have the whole building for a year, twenty five thousand square feet. So we've we've got uh, and still need more. We're getting ready to build a fifty thousand square foot building, um, and you know it's just. Well, in our engine shop, Freedom Racing yeah. Engines, on another 8,000 square feet. They're across the street. They do a bunch of top fuel repair. They do all of our uh, Cummins block work. That's a business that Braden and I own. Mm-hmm. Um, that, we're really looking forward to getting into our new building. That's what? That's starting this spring. And looks, like, looks like we'll get started this spring, and we may be in by next winter or this time next winter, but there'll be a, there'll be a building up this next fall for sure. Awesome. Awesome. That's that's great. Well, I'm sure you guys are hopping with uh, the ultimate call-out challenge coming up and drag racing season uh, coming up. I know uh, um, a good buddy of mine, Brett, got his engine down there from uh, the guys over at uh, Banghart Diesel, and uh, a lot of guys reaching out to Freedom Engines these days for uh, you guys' uh, I guess you call it, what, it's a 6-4 deck plate, right? Kind of your signature engine there for the well, big Cummins guys? It depends. Uh, Brent Markham's got a 6.8 liter uh, solid block from Hamilton that we uh, built up. Um, it's pretty exciting. We've got six engines in UCC this year. No kidding. In me, wow. in me, Derek Rose, Brett Markham, Justin Andres, and then we've got uh, Jason Lewis and Joe Virgilio in the qualifier. So Virgilio of... is in the qualifier? Oh, boy. As long as his yeah. beard doesn't get in the way of a steering wheel, he might do okay. Yeah. His beard or beer? What did you say? Beard, I think, is what you said, right? It could be beer. Can it be both? It could just be both, right? 
he's only he only has two hands. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we yeah. have a stacked house for UCC this year, so it's pretty crazy that like Chase is over there, you know, beating on the shops are I don't know, three hundred yards apart, and uh, you know you can obviously hear the engine dyno running inside all the other buildings, and uh, um, it's pretty wild though. Like I'll call him up like as soon as he gets done with the run, and I was like, sound good. What it make? Done two thousand. You know, it's it's perverse, but this industry has gotten to where, like, we're rolling what those 102s or whatever on the end of dyno will make 2,000 horse. Yeah, pretty much. Whenever we break in a motor like that, I've got a Garrett GT55 102 millimeter force inductions mm. that I use that I I know that it'll make anywhere from 1950 to you know 2100 horse, depending on the weather and the motor build and all that good stuff. And uh, so I use that as my baseline on everything. And uh, boy, do they sound good. That's what that, yeah. uh, that video is all over the internet with that purple engine and Jason Lewis was at uh, Fabian shot. Um, you know, that thing, it sounds rowdy. Well, like this is wild meeting call. <laughs> it is. And it's neat. Like you'll get, uh, you'll get the top fuel guys, like when they're in town or the crew guys. I mean, they're working on the pinnacle of horsepower. I mean, 10,000 to 11,000 horsepower. And yeah. mm. they, like, their ears, like, their head cocked sideways, and they walk outside, they're like, what was that? And, <laughs> it's it's displacement is what it is. <laughs> yeah, they're bigger than we are. And, really? Uh, but Oh, yeah, they're 500 cubes, which is uh, right. a little over 8 liters. Um, Nitro is a pretty cool fuel. It's uh, mm-hmm. you can run, I think the, the ratio that they try to run is around 2 to 1, whereas like gasoline's 12 to 1 or 14 to 1. So you're getting that much more fuel in there, but it's carrying oxygen with it. So mm-hmm. you've got oxygen in this. You can make uh, make a lot of power. But um, but no, like just the amount of power that we're able to make, the tuning, everything has stepped up. Injector technology, that's that's UCC has driven a lot of this technology recently. Uh, I know Chase was on the engine dyno for six months with various engines testing injectors, and what he's learned in injector technology from that um, has been very beneficial. And well, has made I know I, at PRI, I was talking to a standalone ECM manufacturer, which I'm sure you guys know, but I'm not going to plug on uh, on our podcast. Um, and uh, they. they typically work a lot in gas um, and, and do some in diesel through, uh, you know, limited uh, avenues. And uh, the way he put it, which I think was a beautiful way, because he was more of a gas guy and he didn't, you know, he's still kind of trying to wrap his head around, you know, what's happening over here in the diesel space. He, he said, it's yep. just like, it seems like in the last three years, there's just been this horsepower war, is how he put it. And uh, I thought that was an athlete put way is just it, how far can we push this much displacement, this much injector technology um, on a on a dyno, on a drag strip? Because, um, I mean, if you really hearken back to, uh, and I know, Chase, you, you're really big in the sled pulling world still, uh, mechanical stuff, which I know is not Felicia's signature. You guys more uh, deal with common rail technology. Um, you know, these guys have been making over 2,000 horsepower for a while. But when we started shoving into common rails, it just seemed like everybody has been just chasing this, you know, uh, unattainable 3,000 horsepower, whatever it is, and people are just dumping buckets of money into trucks and engines and technology and research uh, just to try and make, you know, a bigger number. And like you said, I think UCC has kind of perpetuated this 
Absolute. Again, as that guy said, like it's this horsepower war, and I, it's cool to watch. It really is. But like what you you know, yeah, you can get a twelve valve mechanical motor to make two thousand horsepower, and mm-hmm. they'll do it. That's been around, and I mean we, I mean we started by like two thousand what two when you had your silver dash chase four. Two thousand four Chase bought like our, I had a VP. He had a VP truck and bought his first chip, bought our first you know diesel performance part from Patty mm-hmm. Hazley. And, you know, here we are now. <laughs> right. But uh, the thing about that, like, you can drive a 2,000-horsepower truck, common rail. Yeah. You can drive it through the drive-thru. You can, I mean... You can have your cake and eat it, too, with a common rail. You can't... You with, can't do with that. With a Sigma pump, I mean, I just think about, like, Levon at UCC, you know, that thing, you can't drive that. And he knows <laughs> that. And everybody... It's not, it's not meant to be driven. It's meant right. to make power. So... You know, that's that's what we like about common rail is you can have the best of both worlds. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've got, uh, you know, a customer like Justin Andres, for example. That thing's basically 2,000 horses crank. Mm-hmm. And he street drives the truck. It's 6,800 pounds. Uh, he won the king of the streets this spring, um, or this, this fall, I believe. But that's well, heck, is. he drove it to our gauntlet challenge at, at ATS. And came out in his crutches, yeah. and I was, I was like, "Where's your trailer, man?" He's like, "No, I just drove this thing here," uh, and it did 1,900 yeah. horsepower and uh, all like really high 2,000 foot-pound of torque. Very torquey motor. I was really impressed with that thing. Yeah, he's a great guy, and he's one of those customers. He's a very challenging customer because it's, um, no, I want to drive it, but I want to make you that horse. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. This is gonna be fun. We'll probably break a lot of shit, but yeah. So, <laughs> and and we have we broke our fair amount of stuff, but we've uh, we've learned along the way, and we've uh, you know worked together, and you know he's got something that you know essentially runs nine, weighs sixty eight hundred pounds, and it still has a gooseneck hitch in the back. So, mm-hmm. pretty crazy. Yeah. No, I think it's cool. Yeah, everybody wants to have their cake and eat it too. I was always annoyed uh, by the cover magazines that said 1,000 horsepower daily driver a long time ago. I mean, this was – it seemed like the magazines just kept chasing some dude that would have like, oh, yeah, I got a 1,000 horsepower truck that I drive to work every day for my cube rat job. And uh, I was like, that's just an irresponsible uh, editorial because those aren't reliable trucks. And, the, you know, uh, you, you can't have a 1,000 horsepower daily driver. The crankcase wash alone – uh, will just you'll need an oil change every four miles, that kind of a thing. And uh, but now again with with tuning technology and injector technology and pump technology, it's that's boring now. <laughs> Thousand horsepower daily driver, gay. You know, just not into it. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's like I said, it's perverse. The the new what the new two thousands, the new one thousand, and mm-hmm. everybody wants more, more, more. And I mean, it's crazy but we're able to deliver it i mean the transmissions are the ones that are just taking the abuse yeah but this should mm-hmm. be said so there's a lot of people on the forums and just in the industry that want 1500 horsepower because it sounds cool and they've never yeah. even really been an 800 horsepower truck so like i just got done building a ford for a customer and uh it's got a cummins in it one of our six two um one of our street you know, or street race motors, essentially, whatever the hell you want to call it. But um, it's got compounds on it, and 
it's, I don't know, just shy of 1,300 horse to tire, but that's what he wanted. But the last truck he was in was a mechanical motor that made 1,200 to crank, and he drove on the street. Well, he thought it was fast. Well, now he's got a Ford that rips tires off at 80 miles an hour and tries to put him in the ditch. Like, on tune one, it makes like 800 horse, and he hadn't taken off tune one because it's an animal. And, and there's <laughs> a big thing between horsepower and having a power curve. And, right. you know, if you do the Pepsi with somebody and put them in a – put them in a 1,000-horsepower truck that's got a 500-rpm power band, or you put them in a 700-horse truck that's got power from, you know, idle to red line, right. they're most times going to be one that's got the power curve. I think it, it pulls out to 5,000 rpm. Like, it doesn't quit pulling. And that's what's deceiving and so different. I mean, it, like, with compound turbos, that obviously helps. It extends the power curve. But uh, it's just a, it's a lot of fun. It's got power all over, and it's a nicely balanced match setup. And, I mean, that's what we... We're shitty salesmen. Like, we'll talk people out of stuff just to make sure. <laughs> but, I mean, I think customers appreciate that. It's like, we know what you need. Come take a ride in this. I think you're going to be happier with this. And it's not because right. it's like we make more money. Well, I know. Like, my, my truck has compounds, and uh, it's it's 715, somewhere in that range, whenever we dine on it. But it's got, you know, we set it up for towing. And so it's got a it's got a really nice power band, and I know I've taken guys that have like high performance gas uh, for rides in my truck, and you know you can't beat the low end torque of a Cummins ever. And so you, as soon as it hits lockup and you bury that throttle, they're like, "Wow, is this it? What's this got? Twelve hundred, thirteen hundred horsepower?" And they have no idea what the hell they're talking about. It's like, no, nah, it's like seven hundred. Yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> that's like a stock Hellcat. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> and it's still awesome. And I can hook up a truck, and my EGTs are below a thousand or a trailer, and yeah. I'm into it. So. And I've got uh, I've got customers that you know they'll put an S400 on their truck on like a five nine and you know, they like it, but they are missing that snappy low end torque they had. And I had a customer like last fall that he liked his truck but wasn't in love with it. And I was fortunate enough to have a customer customer's truck here that we help with Trevor Hull from Quality Diesel Performance up in Northern Indiana. That's one of the stoutest work stock trucks in the Midwest. Like the thing rarely gets which used. which means the world because sled pulling is only in the Midwest. Well, it's one of the stoutest in the Midwest, <laughs> so yeah. So I should say the world since the Midwest is yeah, yeah. pretty big. So this thing's got a set of like three hundred percent overs and a twelve mil pump and a box cheetah that comes out of the box, you know, nothing fancy. Eight hundred and thirty horsepower at the tire. On a 63 mm. millimeter, makes 55 pounds of boost. So I take this customer for a drive that's got a 467.7 on his truck, and he thinks it's the baddest thing ever. He rides in this truck with a cheetah, and he's like, I want mine to do that. Why doesn't mine do that? <laughs> well, you need fuel for one, yeah. and, you know, you put the little charger on there. Well, his 467 probably makes more horsepower at 4,000 RPM, but from 1,500 to 3,500, the cheetah kicks fast, yeah. especially with the fuel. And I'm not I think there's a real cheetah. disconnect between old technology like BP44 technology and, you know, P-pump technology even to common rail technology and what people think they need to put on their trucks as far as turbo sizing and when they need to start adding fuel injectors and, almost more importantly, um, uh, high-pressure fuel pump stuff because you guys have – your power flow solutions and things like that. And I think a lot of guys will 
kind of knee-jerk and go straight for, okay, we need to put big-ass injectors and a new turbo on here, and they do nothing to address the CP3. Um, and yeah, there's just, like, a, a lot of bad information out there on the forums, I think. You get guys that put, like, a 472 on their truck and have stock injectors. I'm like, why do right. you do that? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, I've but, I mean, you can grow into it various things, but it's difficult to grow into a turbo and actually enjoy it with stock mm-hmm. injectors, you know. And our yeah, goal absolutely. is just, just match, match everything for what the customer's trying to do with the truck. That's right. always been our goal. Absolutely. Well, you know what, guys? Awesome having you guys on the podcast today. Um, if anybody's interested in your products, uh, we have a lot of dealers that listen to this podcast as well. Um, how do they get in touch with you guys uh, if they want to uh, start selling your products to their customers, or how does a customer get in touch with you guys to ask more questions, get more information? Well, if, uh, if uh, dealers listening, they, I'm sure they're probably set up with one of the, their favorite warehouse distributors throughout the country. Um, our, our products are warehoused in 10 or 15 warehouses throughout the country, and uh, if a dealer... North America. There you go. Um, it's just Canadians <laughs> listening to. Right. And if the dealer has a question about where our products are sold, he can contact us directly and we can get them set up to, to buy through that warehouse. Uh, but if uh, an end user has any questions, we try to put as much information as possible on our website. Um, but if at any point you ever have any questions, feel free to give us a call. Um, and our sales staff will answer, try to answer any of your questions and um, if you want to buy online, um, you know, there's a lot of e-tailers out there that, uh, that list our products as well. And, um, so uh, it should be pretty easy to find, but feel free to check out our website or give us a call directly. And we'll, uh, we'll drop that website and uh, phone number in the uh, comments below whenever we post this up on uh, YouTube and social media and things like that so they can uh, find you guys really easy. Yeah, throw Freedom up there as well because uh, we've got uh, hired a new um, salesman over there that'll be, uh, you know, able to field some questions, and he's getting more active on social media over there. And um, speaking of social media, I mean, Chase and I—I I mean, we have a paid social media position here in the business, but Chase and I are on our phones all the time, and like we see Facebook messages. So I mean, and we're, we'll respond. We're just normal people. We—I mean, Chase jumps into his pants both feet at a time, but I put mine on the normal way. <laughs> <laughs> There's a flexibility thing there, Braden. You and I both suffer from it. It's okay. Yes, says from the top bunk. Yeah, Chase jumps down into his pants. But uh, um, no, I mean we're approachable, normal guys, and you know if we can help you out, um, if it's a uh, you know getting you out of a jam, or if we messed up, we want to handle it as best as possible. Or if you just have a question, like, hit us up, Facebook Messenger, and. Um, I keep odd hours, so it's like, you know, just yeah. Well, anyway, to, to actually to add to that, man, I remember I had a buddy Andrew Tarter, not to drop a name at Perkins Diesel, and they had dropped an LML into a square body Chevy, and they were trying to get something to work either with a CAN bus or it was, it was something electronic. And uh, if people don't know, Braden's kind of electronic nerd head, and uh, I. Sure enough, you, like, made a custom module for him, like, at the drop of a hat. We were sitting at Shide. I'm like, hey, you need to talk to this guy. And uh, he messaged you on Facebook. You made him a custom piece. Not that I'm trying to advocate for people to blow you up and have you make, like, one-off things, but it was, um, yeah. I don't know, that was pretty cool to reach out like that. It, it's hard to do, it was, you know, things like that with your size, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, I still uh, still try to nerd uh, nerd out most of the day um, on new product, and that's what's been nice with having, you know, uh, getting bigger and having you know Jeff like his operations manager and and a few others that but can take the load off, and you know, I always liken it to you know they're keeping the ship running, and Chase and I are kind of trying to steer it on in new directions, and um, but yeah, like that that module for Andrew. Um, you know, he was trying to do some custom stuff, and we've come up with that uh, LML standalone that allows you to put it into anything. Uh, his is a little unique because he's still running a BCM in that truck, and he wanted to keep all the BCM features, so still got a little bit of programming to do with that thing. But uh, um, but yeah, um, we're still scalable um, as we as we were as a small company, uh, and are agile and able to do new things, and that's typically difficult for bigger companies or as companies grow they get kind of sluggish and not able to work on custom stuff awesome guys well, i appreciate it patrick anything to add any 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 big bombs you got to to add to this whole thing no i'm pumped up for that uh that pump and that exhaust brake so i'm i'm ready to go yeah actually i had one question about the exhaust brake and you can edit this out patrick and just kind of retro footage like back when we were actually talking about it um, is uh, uh, is that is, is retrofit. What if I already have a second-gen swap kit, say, from a, another competitor that does a second-gen swap kit? What's the install like? Is it, do I have to just cut my downpipe and it shoves right in there, or is it just clamp in, or what's what's the story on that? I guess it was kind of an install question to it. We've got an S400. Um, we've got a cast adapter that goes from an S400 to our brake, and then we've got, you know, our nice stainless downpipes. We've just shortened those to mount to the brake. So, you should be able to take um, most, I think, the ATS. Anything uh, that's in the 45 um, degree. Yeah, anything that's 45 degree that splits down will Got work. It. So ATS feed speed, um, stainless diesel to split down. Um, the BD, I think, so like a 20 degree. So mm-hmm. it might work. I have to with the BD manifold. But we are going to have a kit that you can just cut in a downpipe, put your two flanges in, and, you know, it'll be a universal so kit. If you that. got compounds or something, it's the cut-in version, but it would still plug in and work just like normal. Okay, so kind of minimal footprint. Yeah, I was just curious about that because I, I know we're going to have guys that have a second-gen swap kit already, and they're like, oh, finally somebody came out with a good exhaust brake, and they want to add it to the to their setup right now. So, excellent. Yeah. We're planning to add that to the Duramaxes and power strokes if necessary, um, I think they could benefit from it as well. And then we're also looking at, uh, I think we sent off some specs the other day for a five-inch break for uh, big rig market, so, because they're doing the same thing. I mean, those guys are swapping to more reliable fixed geometry turbos, and mm-hmm. their biggest complaint, loss of braking when you get rid of the BGT. So right. if you get that back, it'll be the same and neat stuff. Excellent, guys. Well, that's cool. Well, appreciate you guys coming on and spending uh, some time with us here and letting us know about some of the new cool things you've uh, got coming out. And, you know, anytime you guys have a new product or want to get a message out to uh, our listeners and uh, get some more information, good information out there to diesel enthusiasts, man, hit us up. Uh, we're, we're always uh, excited to, to, to talk to you guys. Well, we'll do another one when Chase gets this new, brand new Ford we bought dissected and gets that turbo and all the other parts that we're making for it ready, and then you can do that. You won't have to do the fast forward to the forward section. You can have a whole 
a fleet Ford only podcast. That'll be one for the record book for sure. Let's drop that one on April first. <laughs> okay. That'll be a black. <laughs> <I'll be able. laughs> I like it. Don't forget, Diesel fans, if you want to learn more about what we talked about on this podcast, go to fleeceperformance.com, or if you're interested in a high-performance engine, something that is flooding the competitive market, winning races, doing really well, go to freedomracingengines.com. The guys over at Fleece are more than happy to chat with you, talk to you about building your truck, what your goals are, everything else. Really cool, guys. We also want to thank PPI and BD Diesel again for making this episode possible. You guys are looking for truck parts, go to dieselperformance.com. BD has you covered whether you got a Power Stroke, Cummins, or Duramax for custom tuning. PPI is your source for basically same trucks Cummins, Duramax, Power Stroke. They're coming out with new things all the time. Uh, you know, new truck comes out, they're hard at work at it. Check them out, just go to ppi.com. Till next time, keep the shiny side up.